I'm Marshall Kozlov. And I'm Mike Duran. Welcome back to Counterbalance. Today's episode is a actual welcome back. We are together as a team again. Ironically enough, Mike is in New York. I'm in New York. Phil is back from fraternity leave. So it's good to check in on all the events that have happened in the past few weeks, especially in Ukraine. But obviously, Mike, we're going to discuss the resonance with your focus on the Middle East. But here's just a question I've really wanted to ask you for a couple of weeks. Just what's your reaction to the state of Ukraine right now and what this means for all of your work, even zooming outwards to the Middle East and beyond? Oh, uh, well, uh, I'll get right to that. But first, let me say, Marshall, it's so good to be back with you. I, I, I missed you. We we, we got to do this more often. We do. We got to do, do it every week. It's true. <laughs> uh, so I think um, if I evaluate, let, let me evaluate it in terms of the performance of the, of the Biden uh, uh, administration. Their performance has been um, uh, mediocre. But has res- but has uh, uh, produced some uh, at times very good results. You know, I mean, the the thing that's most amazing about the the war is the way it has created a a unity uh, in Western Europe. I don't know how long that unity will last, but the unity is amazing. Uh, particularly striking is the change in Germany. Um, with the Germans committing to two percent of their uh, uh, to, to, to meet the two percent commitment on their on their defense budget uh, and abandoning seemingly, uh, I think certainly in spirit, uh, some of the appeasement kind of reflexive appeasement of Russia that so characterizes uh, German uh, German policy. These are these are remarkable development. I mean, the the, the uh, the, we see changes in Sweden, places that we think of as just sort of uh, reflexively accommodationist uh, 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 countries that have reflexively accommodationist foreign policy have uh, have shifted. Um, uh, I, I think this is really a result uh, as much of the the pullback of America, the kind of withdrawal of America, uh, uh, as it is a deft policy in Washington. I don't want to take away everything. I, I don't know all that's been going on behind the scenes. I know a lot of people who are more um, knowledgeable about the ins and outs of the debates inside the administration, give the administration um, uh, uh, um, some credit for holding together the unity um, and so forth. So let's, uh, let, let's give them that. I think it's uh, credit where credit is due. Uh, but the thing that is, the thing that has uh, struck me most, because I look at everything through a Middle Eastern lens, um, and and I believe that America's position as the dominant power in the Middle East is something that should be preserved. Uh, so when I look at uh, the uh, policy in Ukraine, the thing that disturbs me the most is the uh, failure of the American deterrent. The United States did not deter Vladimir Putin. Again, there's been a, a there's going to been a somewhat good result in that. I mean, Putin turns out to have miscalculated um, uh, enormously, possibly catastrophically. We'll have to wait and see uh, um, how he's going to uh, play his hand. Uh, and I, but I think it's important to see that that was not a result of American policy. That was a that was an own goal. 
by uh, uh, by by Putin, partially a result of American policy. We did stream uh, some weapon systems to the Ukrainians um, that are that are proving devastating to the to, uh, to the Russians. But I repeat, we did not deter Putin. Uh, he in, uh, quite the opposite. We pretty much invited him in, uh, uh, and. I, that's the that to me is the thing that needs to be brought home the most. And some of our strange foreign policy debate now, uh, people that I was um, sympathetic to back in the Trump administration are are saying the exact opposite that uh, that that we are that that Biden has been itching for a war with Putin. I I, I don't think that that's true um, at all. Uh, I think we have to have clarity about this. The, 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 this is Vladimir Putin's war. If ever there was a war that was down to one person's decision, it was, it was, this is Vladimir Putin's war, um, and we did not deter it. Uh, and, and we could have, I believe. Uh, and that's what we should want. We should want an, uh, we should want, um, an avoidance of war. And avoidance of war doesn't come by uh, asking people to be nice. It comes from uh, or prevention of war. I got not avoidance. Prevention, prevention of war doesn't come from ignoring adversaries. It comes from deterring them. Um, and we don't have that. And we, don't, and, and, and we don't have that in the Middle East either. When you look at what's happening, uh, the Iranians are acting pretty much with impunity against allies of the United States and against the, uh, the United States itself. Um, and you, and you, look in, you look around in, in vain for any sign of American deterrence. And it, 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 it's not there. And then that's when you realize um, uh, and I'll stop here on these long remarks. That's when you realize that the Biden team, which is, of course, the recycled Obama team, actually does not believe in classical deterrence as we have uh, understood it as a tool of statecraft from the days of Thucydides until yesterday. They don't believe in it. Um, and I think that that's a real problem. Uh, uh, for the United States, and it's it's it, 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 we have to reinvigorate our deterrence, and that is the key, uh, Marshall, to getting I think uh, to getting the balance right. You and I have discussed so many times about how that we're living through an age where the American public does not want uh, major American military commitments abroad. They 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 want our our their leaders focused more at home than abroad. Uh, and I think the way to achieve that without a catastrophic loss of influence on the world stage is through deterrence. So this is this is the issue that I think is absolutely most important today. No need to apologize for giving a long answer because long answers are only bad when they're incoherent. And that was very, very, very coherent. So I want to pick out a couple of things, though, on, that you said. So, for example, what would deterrence specifically have looked like in the case of Ukraine? Because you could argue, well, they sent weapons, the intelligence leaks happened, there was comments about sanctions. What were the specific policies that Biden should have adopted to create the classical deterrence that you're referencing? I'm 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 going to get right. I'm going to get to your answer, but I'm going to take a little detour for a second. And I, 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 <laughs> our our good friend Congressman Gallagher wrote uh, a uh, a piece in the Wall Street Journal recently uh, where he highlighted a new concept in the Pentagon called integrated deterrence. And uh, 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 this jumped out at me. Um, I, I had not been aware of this concept. Uh, 
Um, but it, it now allows me to put a name on what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Hmm. And this is the elaboration into actual military doctrine of the principles of smart power, soft power that, that, that became so popular first as a criticism of the George W. Bush administration and then as a, uh, under, under, uh, under Obama. Um, the idea that we don't have to use classic military tools in order to deter because we have economic tools, for example, and moral suasion. So you mentioned the leaking of the intelligence. We were going to embarrass Vladimir Putin. Uh, so we're not, we're not we're, let's get over the idea that we can embarrass Vladimir Putin. It's ridiculous. I, I, uh, uh, there, there's something that people have not, um, uh, they have, uh, 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 some people have not um, absorbed. And that is mm. the kind of Mongol component of the Russian way of war. The Russians don't, the, the Russians don't demolish cities be, in, a, in a fit of anger or, in, or in, in just, just, just as an act uh, purely of retribution when things don't go right for them. They don't, they don't set out to carry out war like we do with precision-guided weapons and a minimum of civilian casualties. And then when that doesn't work, they get really mad and they just carry out uh, acts of retribution against civilians. By now, we should know. We have so many examples of this. There was the leveling of Grozny in the, uh, in the Second Chechen War. Uh, there, the leveling of all, all of the major cities except Damascus. In in Syria, I, I, this is the Russians together with the Iranians and the and and Assad's forces themselves. They the, the slogan of the of the uh, Syrian regime was Assad or we'll burn the country to the ground, right? <laughs> that, that's the that's mm -hmm. the slogan. So uh, uh, Putin regards mass civilian casualties, driving refugees in, uh, um, uh, 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 into the, um, you know, forcing, forcing the opponent to deal with, uh, with uh, uh, millions of refugees and just leveling cities as a legitimate act of war in order to get what he wants. He wants to turn Ukraine into, uh, into a basket case, into a failed state. Uh, and if it has to level a few cities to do that, he will do that. Now, that's not to say that the, that the war is going well for him. It's not going well for him at, 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 at all. Um, but but these are these are legitimate tools. And you, so the point here is you can't embarrass this guy. He on 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 the contrary, he regards the fact that we are so concerned about civilian casualties and it has such an, and about casualties in our own military, and it has such an mm -hmm. adverse, it has such a, a, a strong impact on us morally. He regards that as a weakness of ours. He's going to flash in our eyes nuclear war, which he's done time and time again. He's going to flash in our eyes World War III. And he's going to act with this unbelievable ferocity towards civilians because he thinks it gets him a result that he, that, uh, 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 that he wants. Now, 
you're not with a guy like that. You know, t- leaking the intelligence is not going to really uh, uh, is 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 not going to deter him. And we saw that it uh, and we saw that it didn't. Now I still haven't answered your question. Simply, the question is: we needed to put weapons. We need to put. We need to make clear to him. First of all, we should not have said that we were not going to put troops in. And 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 Biden announced that. Biden Biden announced ahead of time we will not put NATO troops in. In uh, uh, in uh, um, in Ukraine, and and he should have he shouldn't have the the deterrence of your adversary doesn't start by uh, by drawing a line and saying this is the line I'm going to hold. The minute you do it, it's it's it, and I see it in the Middle East all the time. It's the the Syrians, the Iranians. The minute you say this is a red line right here, then they start to work to to to, to erase it. And to uh, to embarrass you for having said it by showing that, you know, you know, they'll, they'll put a couple of toes across the line and see, are you going to react to that? Did I cross your lead line? Uh, and then they'll put a couple more and so on until before you know it, it's uh, uh, it's it's erased. I, the drawing of a red line is a red is a red flag to a bull as far as the, these, uh, these kind of guys are concerned. Mm-hmm. So you have to have ambiguity. You have to keep them uncertainty. You have to keep them guessing about what you're doing. So that was point number one. Now, I'm not saying that Putin should have gone. I mean that uh, Putin, that uh, Biden should have, uh, uh, that we should have gone into Ukraine with American forces. I do believe, as I, we, you and I have said, we've talked about this so many times on this on this uh, podcast. I believe that it's difficult for any president on the right or on the left these days to get into a major war unless the American people is unanimously behind it, and that certainly wasn't the the case here. Uh, but you don't have to say ahead of time. I'm not uh, Vladimir. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do anything. Don't worry. Not going to do anything. Secondly, w- w- when when we when we saw that he was going in, and we've said it for 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 uh, uh, weeks, if not months, before he went in, we should have been putting weapon systems in their hand in the hands of the uh, uh, of of the Ukrainians that we knew would do would do great devastation. Uh, uh, to the uh, to the Russians, and once we saw the logistical problems that the Russians were having, and they had these you know this incredible convoys of tanks and just just lined up, we we, we should have put uh, we put put systems in there that could have chewed them up even better than what we uh, that than what we did. For example, uh, MQ nines, uh, the 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 Reaper drones that we have. Uh, Russians don't have an answer to that. One of the most amazing things about this war uh, that I think surprised all the defense analysts is that the Russians have not been able to establish air superiority. Everyone thought they were going to. The, the CIA told us that they were going to roll over the Ukrainians in three or four days because they had such a powerful, mil- uh, a powerful military. Now, giving them drones like that would re- entail a little bit of risk uh, because. Uh, they're not trained on them, uh, so uh, we would have you, you. And it's not something you can pick up in a day. Uh, the the training, so there would have to be people who know how to operate them. Uh, would have to be uh, provided to the Ukrainians, and that would be uh, you, the that that would do, that would make people nervous because they'd say, "Well, that's the United States joining." But I mean, what you would do is you'd get contractors. Uh, and the Ukrainians would the Ukrainians would contract foreigners who know how to do this, 
so it wouldn't be a NATO operation. The Russians would say it's NATO, but we, we would deny and say we have not done this. Um, it, it, look, the, the Turks gave the, the Ukrainians Bayraktar drones, which uh, I'm sure you've seen the Ukrainian song that the, uh, for the, about the Bayraktar. Yeah, can you, I was going to ask you, could you, so this is a directed question within the frame you're discussing. What are the Bayraktar drones and wh- how does this relate to what you're describing here? Well, the, the Bayraktar drone is that is that is a, is a Turkish drone. Um, so here's a NATO country, Turkey, introducing weaponry into Ukraine that the to which the Russians do not have an answer. Uh, and uh, and they're pretty cheap. Compa- and the key and the key detail here is that they're nowhere near as technologically advanced as a as as the Reaper would be. Yes. So they're they're yeah. they're slower. They are less durable. But they're still making a huge impact on the battlefield in the way that you're describing it. Yeah. So there are there aren't. I, I, we don't know exactly how many are there. I've asked Turks. I think that the numbers are pretty small. But uh, uh, and the and and the the size of them means the payload that they carry is not that great. Uh, but within that context, they're having a huge impact. It is very. I, I want to. By the way, I want to bracket what you just said uh, about this whole question of deterrence. We can come back to it. We cannot leave this episode without yeah, coming please. back to. But I, I don't want to get lost on it. But the the point here is that when you look into this, it's it, a fascinating thing is that the Russians don't have an answer to the MQ-9 because our technology is sophisticated. The, uh, uh, the, uh, or, or they don't have a complete answer to it because our, 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 uh, technology is sophisticated. The, they, do, they don't have an answer to the, to the Bayraktar drone because it's not sophisticated at all. I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great, uh, expert on defense hardware but my understanding of it is basically you have to tune your radar the, the the simple answer is you have to tune your radar to 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 see certain things to focus in on, on on certain things so like just like if you think of it as a camera focus you focus in on one thing and then everything else around is blurry so the the the, the Bayraktar is so not state of the art that the Russian systems are the Russian systems are tuned to see to focus in on the state of the art stuff that we develop, uh, and um, and so the Bayraktar just it 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 flies uh, it, it it it's it flies in a way that's invisible basically to the uh, uh, to the Russians. So uh, uh, we I I don't know you know if if the, if we could have collected more Bayraktar drones from around the world made an effort and then and, and then put more of them in but we certainly could have done that uh, 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 with our systems uh, I I don't know again I'm not a great expert on uh, I'm not a great expert on all of the um, systems that are out there and what's available but a, another one would be uh, uh, an anti ship missiles they had this huge mm-hmm. they had all of their best marines out in this armada in the black sea if they knew that the ukrainians could very easily sink uh those ships i think that would have deterred putin um there's the question of the migs in in uh that was very well reported in poland that we refused to put in because we said world war three uh and uh but you know if you look at when it came to 
sharing intel, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, delivering this or that system, the answer was always the same. We can't do that. The lawyers won't let us. It'll be World War III. That was the answer on Monday. And then uh, by the time the pressure built on Tuesday or Wednesday, they, oh, all of a sudden we found a lawyer who would say we can do it. And we decided that it wouldn't trigger World War III. Uh, so it, 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 really, it really was a question of self-restraint rather than belief in, those, uh, th th belief in either of those excuses that we kept hearing about lawyers of World War III, lawyers of World War III, um, and so on. And in the meantime, Putin took huge swaths of Ukraine, uh, not as much as we thought he was going to, but, but, but he took significant amounts of territory. He, he drove millions of people from their homes. He leveled a couple of cities or more than that. Uh, um, a lot of people suffered, and American deterrence has uh, 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 has suffered. So the last big thing I want to close on, and this speaks to your Middle Eastern expertise, I'm sure you've seen a lot of discourse, especially on this MAGA right that you're referring to, is this idea that the U.S. is playing an escalatory role in the conflict rather than serving as this peacemaker role. And I often see folks who usually don't tend to be foreign policy specialists, they invoke the image of Henry Kissinger during the Yom Kippur War saying, in the past, we've used shuttle diplomacy and other specific diplomatic moves to lessen conflicts where there's a danger of escalation. How would you, as a non-expert, my perception is that they're getting their history wrong in terms of the lack of resonance between the two situations. But as the actual expert on the space and a lot of the conflicts in that period, how would you say the idea of the U.S. settling a conflict between warring powers fits or doesn't fit? Well, uh, uh, I, I think that I haven't listened to a word that Henry Kissinger has said about Ukraine. But I'm 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 very uh, I'm very familiar with his record in the Middle East and 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 in Vietnam, uh, and um, uh, Kissinger would very much the, the Kissinger that I'm familiar with by his record in 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 uh, uh, the Middle East and Vietnam would very much very much thinks in terms of classic balance of power, and that's what's that's what's missing here is classic balance of power thinking. Which means we have to we have to show Putin in order to get. I, I would agree with the MAGA types that the United States should be playing that role. Joe Biden should not be talking about toppling Vladimir Putin, uh, but in order to play the mediator role and to get a uh, to get a negotiated settlement be, uh, uh, between Russia and Ukraine. By the way, I think that a a a, a, a settlement that would leave Ukraine Ukraine neutral. A kind of Finlandization of Ukraine, like we had in the Cold War, uh, with regard to Finland. I think that would be an outcome. Would be a, a completely acceptable outcome. I'd be happy with that, and I think a lot of people on the MAGA right are, believe uh, are, are saying that that's what they want. My disagreement with them on on the MAGA right is they think that we can just offer that to Putin and we'll get it. And and that's a, that to me is a complete misreading of Vladimir Putin. It's a total misreading of Russian history. It's a total misreading of who this guy. Who this guy is? They haven't read his essay on Ukraine is Russia. So, uh, uh, in order to put ourselves in that position, where where we can be the mediator, we have to first show Putin very clearly that we can take from things from him things that he holds very dear, and that's what that's what deterrence is all about. And what's happened since Obama? Wait, Mike. Quick, quick, quick follow up though. 
given your discussion of the lack of caring about his own casualties, civilian civilian casualties, what does Putin hold dear in this context? Well, if we can show him that we can destroy his entire army, and, and we're you know he, look look he he brought all of his best marines, all of his best marines to this uh, from around the the globe. You know, he took them out of East Asia and he brought them, he put them in this armada in the Black Sea where, where, where those, those ships for say our MQ nines, those are, those ships are just sitting ducks. Uh, and MQ nine has, I don't know, I can't remember if it's 12 or 14. Uh, some, 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 uh, some, uh, defense wonk is going to, is going to write in and tell us that I'm, I'm way okay. off base. It's actually only eight or 10. I don't know, but it's got a, it's got a large, it can, it can carry a large number of, uh, of missiles. If he thought, think about the number of man hours that went into the training of those Marines. And that's, this is the, this is the creme de la creme of his, uh, uh, of his military. And that the huge line of uh, the huge, uh, you know, all of those convoys that were, that were uh, lined up around Kiev and, uh, uh, and uh, Kharkiv and Mariupol, we, we, if he knew that those could be just chewed up in a second by us, and if he didn't know and we chewed up a few to show him, uh, then uh, then that would change the environment immediately, very 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 quickly before he ever got to the before he ever got to the stage of starting to level to level cities. But that's that's when what's happened since Obama, and this would be like what I think is the main point, is that on the right. Or let's say on the left, on the progressive left, and on the anti-progressive right, or the nationalist right, the Trump right, whatever you want to call it, the MAGA right, there has there has been a denigration of classical deterrence, and I and I and I think there I think this is this is really a dangerous thing because uh, classical deterrence is what creates the environment for the diplomatic solution to conflict. It's the enabler of diplomacy. It's not the opposite. This is, and somehow it's now always automatically on the right and on the left depicted as the slippery slope to war. To war. This is this is what's going to bring World War Three. Um, I, I think maybe that's what's helpful to have somebody like me being a little bit older talking about this stuff, because because we live with this in the Cold War all the time. This is this is balance of power. Was the essence, which is was the thing that kept the that kept the peace. Not uh, uh, it's the imbalance that that creates the opportunity for war or the the escalation to war. I don't. So before, before before you go, I remember I want to yeah, get yeah, on please. one thing about the Bayraktar. But go, but go ahead with your. No, no, no. Go, please. Our colleague uh, at Hudson, Brian Clark, has this uh, fascinating. I mean, who is a, who is a legitimate defense specialist? I mean, he um, uh, really knows his uh, uh, hard power systems uh, and so forth, and he's also a very sophisticated thinker. And uh, and he points out that uh, you know one of the things that he criticizes is uh, the American military's love of exquisite systems. Uh, exquisite systems like the, the the carrier group, the F thirty five, some of the more uh, uh, sophisticated uh, space based um, uh, uh, ISR capabilities, and and so on. These hugely expensive 
platforms um, that can outperform anyone else in the uh, uh, in the world. Um, and these are the things that uh, you know that they, they, they sparkle the most, and uh, and they cost the most, and we and and we invest in them. Uh, but but often we can't really use them effectively uh, because to bring them they 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 are designed for uh they are designed for uh a big showdown with uh with our near peer competitors uh, the like the chinese or the or, or the russians or to prevent uh, you know in terms of balance of power to prevent the big showdown between the 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 uh the russians and and the chinese and so what the russians and the chinese and the iranians have figured out is that if they engage in these gray zone activities using proxies or uh, operating in areas like Ukraine where the where the com- American commitment where where we have interests you know I, I would call Ukraine a, a a strategic pivot right we don't the, the United States doesn't have uh, tremendous interests in Ukraine just like we don't have tremendous interests in Syria uh, but but uh, but they are strategically pivotal countries and if they fall to an adversary then then that changes the balance of power against us in ways that are um, that are that, that are really uh, uh, quite severe and they weaken us and so we have an interest in maintaining the status quo in in, um, in those areas even though we don't are not going to introduce American troops and we we have created a situation where we're seeding these areas, to the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, and um, and so on, and part of it is because of our love of exquisite systems. Because we can't we we can't um, you know we can't provide those systems to the Ukrainians or to our allies in the um, in the Middle East. The adversary isn't behaving in such a way that triggers our use of them, and so what do we do? Uh, we don't and we don't have interim. You know we don't have these smaller less sophisticated systems that we can provide that we can provide to our own troops or provide more importantly to our allies uh, and partners so so that they can use them now it it, it, it would be great if the United States had uh, an equivalent of the Bayraktar drone a, a cheaper drone one that we could export mm-hmm. to our uh, uh, to our allies would keep them tied to us or to our partners um, you know the the Chinese have moved heavily into this into the military drone um, uh, business, they're, and they're building military drones with our allies, with the Saudis, with the Emiratis, um, uh, and others, precisely because they recognize that we're not in that business because we love exquisite systems that we can't share with our uh, with our allies. So part of what part of what deterrence is, my point here is that is that the Biden administration doesn't uh, doesn't think in terms of deterrence it thinks in terms of you know of of these economic sanctions which do not have an immediate effect on decision making uh, and then secondly they're they're not thinking about developing the technologies that can deter our adversaries in an era of gray zone activities that are designed to erode our authorities in areas where we haven't made formal commitments Very well said, and that's an excellent place to end. Uh, you hit three, four, even five different topics that I definitely know we're going to hit in coming weeks. So it's great to be back. Mike, it's always great to chat with you on these things, and I think you've left us all with a lot to think about. But with that, 
thank you uh, to Hudson for supporting the show. Thanks to Mike for joining, Phil for producing, and all of that great stuff. We'll be back at this next week. <laughs>